Like you're only as good as your network. And the way to build your network is by giving and to not be ego driven, to be, be, but be empathy driven and to continue to say, how can I help other people? And what can I do? Can I make some introductions, some referrals? Can I, can I carve out some time to give you a bunch of free advice? That's never been a bad time spend in my experience or opinion. This is The Real Estate Podcast, a show by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. Let's hear from our host, Matt Teifke and Alex Kaufman. Let's get it. Mr. Brian Adams, thanks for coming on the show, man. Appreciate your time. Yeah, man. Thank you for having me. So what we'd like to do here is uh, just kind of dive into people's backgrounds and uh, we're over here in uh, what we call Opportunity City. I know Nashville might be very similar to Austin in some ways, uh, but we just think, uh, sleep and breathe, real estate, real estate, real estate. And any way we can uh, provide value to listeners and uh, learn and help you out, we're, we're all about it. And so if it's cool with you, man, we would love to, to dive in and, and hear a little bit about yourself a little bit about your background and just see where it goes. No major rush. Take your time, you know, as much as you want to talk about. Great. And then we'll just uh, dive in with some questions and, and go back and forth if that's cool. Perfect. Yeah. So thanks again for having me on. Um, yeah, it's pretty wild. I'm sure we'll get into it, but what's happening with Austin and Nashville and some other markets is, is, uh, it's fun to be a part of it. Um, so I'm a New Yorker who married a Nashville girl. Uh, I met my wife up in college in Connecticut, small liberal arts school. We did the Northeast thing for a little bit. We both went to grad school up in Boston. I went to law school up there and then moved to Nashville about 15 years ago and initially practiced law down here um, and was really fortunate um, in many ways, but in terms of getting into the real estate business, my wife's family has a single family office based here in Nashville that's invested in private equity and venture capital and real estate over the last 20, 30 years. And, and so I really learned about the commercial real estate business through being an investor through the family and, and making connections with GPs and sponsors through those investing relationships. And, um, for a whole host of reasons, decided that I did not want to be a lawyer for the rest of my life. And so 11 years ago now, started the company with my partner and we're syndicators. So we were raising you know, money deal by deal from a network of individuals and, and families. And uh, it's been a journey for sure um, over the last decade plus, but we run about 2.7 million square feet it's roughly $400 million portfolio and we're in, um, I think 14 markets now, mostly in the Southeast Midwest, all secondary markets. Great. And, uh, what type of asset class? Commercial, which for us means office flex industrial and medical for the most part. Okay. Yeah. So it'd be interesting to, for me to understand this. I, I, Typically, when I think of syndicators, I think of multifamily. Uh, I do know a lot of people that do retail, but do you know uh, much about the history of syndicating by chance? And I'm just kind of curious if there's a lot of competition in, in that kind of asset class. It, it seems to me, from my perspective, that 
more people are doing multifamily syndications, but I could be totally wrong. Maybe it's more uh, younger people. Um, but I don't, I'd love to hear if you have any insight on, on that kind of just general market and, and uh, you know, specific asset class for syndications. Yeah. So it's, it, the business has been around a long time, you know, really started in the, in the eighties with pre 86 when the former um, uh, tax laws before they got appealed syndications were exceedingly powerful tools for high income earners to um, offset gains elsewhere in 86 when the tax act changed it kind of blew up the entire ecosystem and the whole industry and even back then they were mostly doing apartment deals um and it's kind of morphed over that period of time from 86 until now um but one of the reasons we did commercial and not residential was for exactly that reason most of the people that we knew quote unquote competition, we're all doing multifamily. And it was just a very competitive space. Even when I got into the game 11, 12 years ago, cap rates were tough. Deal flow was tough. Um, big funds were being aggressive, trying to get deals under contract, you know, going hard day one, putting up a lot of earnest money, waiving diligence, etc. And we just figured we didn't want to compete with really well capitalized, really smart people. And so we did commercial because we could still hit that double digit yield without um, having to go too far out on the risk spectrum or the leverage spectrum. Sure. And so that's how we kind of started doing it. And really, and actually we were, we were originally a fund manager. So we raised three funds. And what happened was we started offering our fund investors deal by deal co-investment rights. On, on acquisitions the fund was making. And those are just wildly popular. And pretty soon thereafter, we, we realized we're in the wrong business. We should be syndicating, not managing a fund. So that's what really led us down the, the path that we're on now. What would you say, I guess the big differences are, are there? I mean, managing a fund, maybe I don't fully understand it, but from what I understand about syndications, you're, you're raising the capital, you have an LP and the GPs, or GP and then the LPs, I guess you'd say it. Um, and then the fund is your, I, I guess I don't fully understand the difference because um, sure. the fund's owning, but you're getting the management fees. Is it, is it more about the like waterfall type returns and stuff like that? Or what, what's the big difference? Yeah, the, the probably the simplest way to put it is a fund is where you raise the capital, then go find the deals. And the syndication is where you find the deals and then you raise the capital. Got it. And so a fund is a portfolio of assets 10 or 20 acquisitions all within one fund vehicle. So they, they potentially could be collateralized uh, or cross collateralized on debt or equity together. Um, a fund has a lot of pros, right? I mean, discretionary capital is an incredibly powerful tool. Um, you, you can take on bigger equity checks than just that one opportunity would present to you. And it provides good diversification if done appropriately so that people can have a really nice kind of mixed bag of opportunities and assets by just deploying, you know, one allocation to a manager. The cons are that explaining how a fund works operationally and economically is a challenge and it's a blind pool, right? So you've got to convince people that your idea and your concept and your execution work 
Um, and that can be a real challenge, in my opinion, to raise capital that way. For syndication, I think it's easier to raise on because people can really underwrite the deal. Depending on their timing, they can say, yes, I'm liquid right now, or I want to put some cash to work. This sounds like a good opportunity. Or I used to live across the street. Looks great. Um, the, the downside, obviously, is you're going at risk, right? You're, you're taking control of a property and you don't have the capital ready. You have to go out and, and raise it. And so it can be a little uh, uh, scary to, to go out like that. Um, so there's pros and cons to both. I think, frankly, for, for the type of real estate we're doing, um, syndication makes a lot of sense for our investor base. Um, and, you know, for real estate funds, if you're an institutional LP that has a minimum $25 million check size, a fund is a really good way to allocate efficiently and to get diversification. It's really hard to put 25 million of equity in a deal where you have to respond really quickly. So I, I think it's different vehicles for different investor profiles and they each have their pros and cons. That's interesting. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. Um, is there like any major tax differences? I mean, just to keep it simple and to reiterate, the, the syndication is when you have the deal, you raise the money and the fund is put the money together and then find the deal. But it's a little weird because it seems like you could you could mix and match those a little bit. Like you could, you know, find a deal and then start the fund. Or I wonder if you could, and maybe you know, like start a syndication before you actually have the deal and then go find the deal. Or is that the just the biggest difference yeah, you can do a hybrid, right? You can have a fund and you can, I mean, it's Wall Street, right? So they have all different types of products and structures, but you can have things called a GP fund where people are raising blind pool capital just to be the GP on syndication deals. Got it. That's cool. Or you could do a bunch of syndications and then put them into a fund and use them as a way to raise capital around your fund vehicle. So it's not blind pool. You've got active deals in it. Like I said, you could offer up your LPs co-investment rights deal by deal so that you have a fund and to incentivize people to invest, they're getting a first look at all the deals and they can participate typically at um, some kind of economic incentive structure as well. So yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of endless how you can set it up. Yeah. Yeah. When you, when you said it's like, it's wall street, you know, that's all <laughs> I needed. These people know how to, how to chop it up and then have different product types. And oh. again, there's nothing inherently wrong with any of them. It's just about who your logical investor base is and what business you want to be. And you've got to also remember that if you're a fund manager, you've got to administer the fund, you've got to audit the fund. That is a business in and of itself. Um, so it, it's, you know, different strokes for different folks, I guess. So with your uh, syndication and having properties all over, uh, you just build great teams in each of these local markets, managers, brokers, leasing agents, stuff like that is, is kind of your strategy or uh, is it vertically, vertically integrated and that's, or, or you, that's something you want to work towards? Yeah. So we are not vertically integrated. I think it's really challenging uh, to do that as a syndicator, unless you've got 250 to 500,000 square feet in a market. So what we typically do is we third party to local groups, right? So CBRE does most of our property management. And on the leasing side, every market and every deal is going to be a little bit different, but it will be the Colliers and the Cushmans and the JLLs and the CBs of the world typically. Oftentimes, we get off-market deal flow from a leasing broker, 
And so to incentivize winning the deal, we'll say, hey, you seem like you're doing a good job. We're going to run a process here, but we're very likely to keep you as a leasing broker on this if you give us a look. And so that's an incentive that we can offer up people. Sure. What's your process on finding these deals? Are you guys making tons of offers and looking at, you know, 50 deals a week or anything like that? Like, what does it look like? Yeah, I mean, after doing this for over a decade, we have a good brokerage network, as you would imagine. And especially in the price point we're dealing with, which is that $10 million deal size, there just isn't a really deep buyer pool for these assets. So typically sellers are getting retraded, really working with you know non-professional groups oftentimes. And so for us, we will win a deal because we have a good reputation, a good brand. We don't retrade. We run a very efficient, quick process. We're never going to win on pricing. But if you want a clean, you know, 75, 90 day transaction, that's where we can come in and, and, you know, be a good liquidity option for the owner. Yeah. What, what about, I mean, how do you guys, that's cool that you said that never went on pricing it. I mean, that I get it. Uh, that's a good thing. Um, probably. And so, um, you know, you, you see a deal and you're like, Hey, this is going to be competitive. And I'd imagine it takes a lot of time and effort to underwrite it, to put the offer together and, and, focus on it. Is that just something you're like, Hey, this is part of the deal. We just have to put our best foot forward, even though we know we're not going to be the best offer and, you know, sell the, the biggest values that we have. And, and, you know, you get one out of 20 or one out of a hundred or something like that. Yeah, that's right. Um, and I think if it's an asset you really like and you just get as far as your underwriting will take you and you make best and final, and then you lose. And then you just tell the broker, Hey, if this buyer blows out or if they're scoundrels, give us a call. We just want to be on the consideration list. And we get that a lot. Second time around, 1031 buyer blows out. Buyer turns out to be a bad actor. We get a phone call and we say, hey, you know, you know what our pricing is. We're still happy to transact. Um, six months later or something, we'll get a call. That, that definitely does happen for us. Yeah. That's the biggest thing I've seen in, in this business. I've been 12 years in and then kind of the entrepreneurial thing of like wholesaling and flipping and residential and commercial, but it's building that long-term uh, reputation. And it's like, I don't know if you view it like this or not, but even though you may, you may strongly know you're not going to get the deal, but still going through those motions partially to, to let the broker know you're serious and to have your name out there for them to know who you are and to see you do it 10 times. And then they're like, okay, these guys are real. And it's not the first time they've seen your name. Is that something you think about or, or view that way as well? Yeah, we want to be top of mind to our brokerage network, right? I mean, these intermediaries are how we win deals. It's how we source opportunities. And we want to be in the mix. And we want the brokers to know that we're real, that we have a good team behind us, provide seller references, provide other broker references. And if you do that, you transact in a timely fashion as a professional, you'll start to get off market looks. So it's really important for us to to let the community know that we are actively looking for opportunity. That's right. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool, man. This episode is brought to you by HouseMax Funding. HouseMax is one of the fastest growing hard money lenders in America, specializing in loans that provide you the cash needed to fund flips, 
buying holds, and ground up construction projects. Housemax gives you the ability to compete with all cash buyers and increase your velocity by closing in 7 to 10 business days. If you're looking for cheap hard money and a relentless originator who will make sure your deal gets funded, call or text Bryce Tennyson today. 512-627-6192. Bryce is a great friend of ours. He actually funds all of our hard money uh, loans, and uh, he'll get the job done for you. Uh, so make sure you give him a call. Back to the episode. So what about, like, what gets you jacked up? What gets you fired up about um, this business? What is it that you like to do? And, um, yeah, what kind of gets you going about all this? Yeah, I mean, um, I love the sales and marketing side of it. Um, I think it's incredible that, <laughs> that we can go out there and we can raise, you know, three or $4 million from our network in a week. Yeah. Uh, when we find the right opportunity and it's really rewarding for me to give people access to these type of deals. Otherwise they would never be able to see or participate in. Sure. And so just allowing them and affording them the opportunity to, to see some of these private deals. Um, I'm a big believer in the democratization of access to alternatives across the board. And it's cool to be part of that trend. And so that's what I really like. Well, I've never, I don't think I've ever heard that term. What what are you, you're saying? Like um, giving the ability, you know, giving investors and people the ability to get into any type of asset class that maybe historically, like you have to be a large institutional investor. Is that what you mean by that? Right. So for the past 20, 30 years, Wall Street has created a moat around pretty much every private equity asset class. And you needed to either have a relationship at Goldman or JP Morgan, or you needed to be a qualified purchaser or some, you know, big ticket type investor to get exposure to these type of deals. And so this trend over the last 10 plus years of allowing people to have fractional ownership interest of, of assets at lower minimums, but still have the quality and the feel of a, of a Wall Street type firm because of advances in technology. I think that's the future. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome, man. I love, I love that term. Can you say that one more time? I, I like the, the democratization of access to alternatives. Yeah. All right. And I think what we've seen recently and what we'll continue to see is the, the dilution of the accredited investor requirements to allow more and more people access to private equity and, and alts. Mm-hmm. Um, so do, what does that do? Do you, you may or may not know, but what would that do to, to these, you know, historically, you know, giants or, or even like REITs, does it take the, does it take the benefits of investing in a REIT away in, in some ways? Or uh, I don't know what, like, because now, you know, people don't have to go to those, places and it, and now there's another competitor out there. What kind of a uh, ripple effect would, would you see that having? I mean, we've already seen it play out in the stock brokerage business, right? I mean, stock brokers don't exist any longer. Taking a 7% fee load for trading a stock mm-hmm. is ridiculous. Like you and I can both trade for free on Schwab or TD or Robinhood. Right. And I think what it'll do is it will require these Wall Street groups to you know, participate in quote unquote retail investing. Um, Lower their fees and stuff too. Right, exactly. So, you know, $0 fee trades or or fee compression across financial markets, I think is a good thing because it lowers the barrier of entry for participation. Yeah, I love it, man. 
anything that's that's uh kind of new and and uh, less barriers is i think for entrepreneurs is better because it just gives you more opportunity and it you know levels the playing field i guess and uh, yeah and things like this like your show and social media and, and content creation and, and podcasts and youtube it's all free right like you could become an expert in multifamily if you took 30 days went into the bunker and all you did was read and then do these online tutorials that are free it's incredible to me like yep. you can become an expert you just don't need a lot of money you just need time mm. and so that's what's really cool is these communities that help other people learn and find out more i mean there's so much room for everyone to to succeed yeah i think it's really important to continue to try to help each other grow and not repeat the same mistakes like i have or others yeah 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 that's great yeah it makes me think about uh you know i call it opportunity city here in austin it's like not only that like we're in the opportunity era of life i mean things are changing and you couldn't go learn about multifamily like you said you know in 30 days or or even a year whatever it may be i don't know 15 years ago 20 years ago you'd have to go sit down with the experts if they if they gave you their time which they probably wouldn't you know unless you figured out how to break in uh, or had some connections so that's that's pretty cool when you talk about uh, your mistakes that you've made if, if you're cool with uh, diving in would love to hear maybe what some of those were so so myself and listeners and uh, other entrepreneurs can maybe avoid those and and maybe what you've learned uh, throughout your process that's kind of brought you to the point where you're at today yeah so we don't have enough time to go all through my mistakes <laughs> but a couple of big ones and i did a presentation about this if you're interested yeah you can go check on the website it's free how to raise capital as a first-time entrepreneur sponsor mm -hmm. and very briefly i think a lot of times people spend so much energy and focus putting the deal together that they never realize or they don't put the time and effort into understanding that this is a very capital intensive business. And if you're not pre-marketing and pre-selling to your investor base, I don't care how good the deal is. If you can't raise around it, it's not an actual opportunity. It, it, it's, it's, Just to it, jump in, because I, I, I have some interesting thoughts through my perspective. Because um, everyone's probably heard and, and been told, you know, find the deal, find the money. And my thought on that is that's true. However, I'm agreeing with you 100% is like, if you don't have those relationships beforehand, well, the money is going to be there, but it's going to want the deal or, you know, 90% of the deal. Um, because they're like, yeah, we'll, you know, we'll buy it, but we'll give you, you know, 2% interest or whatever, or equity or whatever it may be versus what you're saying, like structure those things beforehand um, and I guess doing all of them at the same time, having all those lines in the water and, and be adding value to, to everyone and, and people got to know and see your name, you know, a hundred times or 50 times before they're like, oh, this guy's pretty serious about what he's doing. Cause you're going to come out and say, I'm raising capital. And they're like, you, you never done anything in your life. But after <laughs> they, you know, hear you say that 50 times and see you do stuff, then it gets easier. So I don't know if you agree with that, but I just, it's interesting when they say find the money or find the deal and the money comes which is true, but also there's a caveat there that like the, the terms might not be in your favor if you approach it like that. Yeah, I think there's a huge fallacy in our business that you'll raise on a good deal. You'll hear people say that. I think that's total garbage. Yeah, I agree. I and mean, you know, if you have a great, if you have the best deal in the world and the example I use is 
you know, if you've been an enlisted um, Marine your whole life and you know a lot of unaccredited investors and you, you transition to civilian life and you find an awesome multifamily development deal that is going to require you to raise 20 million of equity, it's just going to be hard. Like you don't know people who can write $20 million checks, right? And why would they write, you know, you and for, and for me, you know, I've got a network of individuals and families and RIAs. I don't have the ability to raise 20 million of equity. Like, even though I've, we have this big portfolio and we're active, I don't know people in pension world or endowment. Like we don't have the same connections. We don't know the same people. They don't know who I am. We don't use the same service providers. I think you've got to, the hard part about this business for your first few deals is you need to be brutally honest with yourself about who, who your logical investor base is and what their capacity is. Because right. oftentimes I see people that are just way overreaching. Like it's going to be tough for you. Like if you do the math and if your average ticket size in your network is $50,000 and you need to raise 5 million and you've got a 5% conversion rate, Mm-hmm. Like that's going to be tough. You're going to need to talk to a thousand people. Yeah. Well, and I, I, I would imagine we're definitely on the same page. I mean, to, to someone that wants to do that, like go do it and go try. And you just got to keep, you know, there's only one way to, to figure that out is to get into action. You want to make all the right steps you can, but you got to start somewhere. And it's not that we're trying to discourage anyone, but just saying the importance of preparing for that. And like you said, be honest with yourself. Um, and uh, yeah, because you, you know, there's some aspect of it where you got to go surprise yourself. And maybe you do run into that investor that's going to put two, three million, but it's not going to be a sustainable way to approach a business in the long run. Because you, you can't just get, you know, you can't just get lucky here and there. You got to have a, a process and a system for these investors. And, um, and I, I definitely support people and I know what you're saying. And it's interesting because those are the people that are paying a higher price than you who are getting the contract sometimes. Um, but then I guess it probably works out in your favor when they don't close or if they can't close. Um, and then you come in and close and then that broker now has a, a big check mark by your name. Yeah. I just think people need to take the capital raising part of the business very seriously. And it will just, if you look at it from a cost of customer exhibition standpoint, from a dollar and energy and time perspective, there are a lot of things that you can do on the front end to help mitigate the pain of, of raising money. Because if you want to be in this business, it's a capital intensive business. It just is what it is. Sure. So I would, that's a big mistake that I made early on. Check out the presentation. It's free. You can help people out, hopefully. Yeah. We're, and then uh, just to ahead, clarify sorry. with people, like where, where that's on your website? It's on the website or shoot me a note on LinkedIn and I can send it to you. But yeah, it's on the website. Cool. Um, and uh, another one is a big mistake I, I see people make is not fully appreciating the fact that the real estate investments have to make sense and those have to be good deals, et cetera. But all this infrastructure that helps support your ability to, to manage those investments that have nothing to do with real estate are just as, if not more important than the deals themselves, sales, marketing, reporting, HR, tax, bookkeeping, audit, like I did not take the, the time and energy necessary to build out that infrastructure. And we definitely fell into the trap of being deal guys. And even if the deals work, 
you'll find yourself just deluged with all of these things from an organization standpoint. And so you've got to be, you've got to understand and appreciate you're a small business owner in addition to being a real estate investor. Right. Right. Yeah. What would you do? I guess, uh, you know, let's just put yourself in the, the entrepreneur. Uh, you, you could maybe start over You're you're 22 years old or whatever. Would, would you go on the same path and, um, would you do this syndication um, or would you, you think you maybe would do things a little bit differently? No, I would do a lot of things differently for sure. But I mean uh, like, uh, yeah, I, I guess like, like from an entrepreneur that, that likes this path, right? Do you go work for someone and learn it and, or do you just kind of figure it out on your own and just jump in? Yeah, it's a really hard question, right? Sure. Um, I was curious, I like for, for you, like, uh, you know, cause, cause I see a lot of people just diving in and that's great. But I, I just wonder, I'm thinking about everything you're saying about like all the other aspects of this business. It doesn't really seem like, you know, something you want to learn on the fly. Yeah. I would not recommend doing what I did. Building the plane while you're flying it is hard. Yeah. And I think you'd be surprised by how many people you reached out to for help that were, are more than happy to give you a bunch of free advice and then to help you. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if you necessarily need to work at a shop and then spin out and do your own thing. Um, but you should take some time to do the coffee circuit. Like a cup of coffee costs, even if you're in New York city, 10 bucks total for you and your, your, the guy that you're talking to, it's a good $10. If you get like some actionable advice and don't step in this pothole again, I spent a year or so doing the coffee circuit because you'll get a bunch of free actionable advice there. And, Remember, if you want money, ask for advice. And if you want advice, ask for money. All right. Say that one more time. <laughs> if you want money, ask for advice. If you want advice, ask for money. All right. Walk, walk me through it. Uh, that's so we when you, if you go, if I, if I'm prospecting you and I ask you for coffee mm -hmm. and I just hard pitch you off the bat, you're going to be like, whoa, you need to slow down. You should be doing these things. I've been doing this for 10 years. Like you need to understand that this is how this works and blah, 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 blah. But if I ask you for coffee and I start asking you a bunch like, hey, I just want to listen to your story. What are the three biggest mistakes you've made? What are the three best deals you've ever done? And we start the conversation like that. You're going to open wide up. People like talking about themselves. They like feeling that they're imparting wisdom. And then it's going to turn into a sales conversation. I love it, man. That's a great one. So um, if you want advice, ask for money, meaning hey, I'm going to come to you. Hey, I want some money. And you're going to, you're going to throw it back at me. Like this is what you need to be doing. Yeah, That's really that's right. cool, man. And I, I like the coffee circuit. I mean, you're speaking my language. I, I've literally, I've been on the coffee circuit for four years. Um, really. Yeah. That was like something I saw super valuable and I'm still on it. Um, I've got my point myself to a good point of our business where I have partners that are really operating and running. And for me, the, the biggest value I'm providing is just building a ton of relationships and no major sales pitch, but just going in there. And, and the, the biggest thing that I say is staying in touch, man. Like so many people have these one meetings and never talk again. And I, I you know, talk to people five, 10, 20 times every year that I meet with. And it it's brings a ton of value to all of our businesses and, uh, I'm a big connector. And so uh, hearing that coffee circuit 
you know, you, you did it for a year. Uh, maybe everyone should do that. I, Cause I definitely know that that's important and super valuable. Yeah. I had a, a mentor tell me early on that, um, if you're not sure how the pitch is going to go, or it's just a first date, do coffee or breakfast because they're the cheapest meals of the day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's I mean, good, I'm constantly, man. yeah. I mean, expanding your network is the cool part about real estate in my opinion is you get to meet all these crazy different people and it's part of your job. Right. And I tell younger people who want to get in the business, I'll do this sometimes up, you know, I'll say, Hey, I'm really busy right now, but can you call me in 75 days? or 45 days testing them and what? nine times out of 10, they, they never follow up. But the, with the one that does, and they're like, Hey, you said 45 days. It's now 45 days. Like I would really still want to have coffee with you. You will not be successful in this business unless you know how to be thoughtfully persistent and creatively get in front of people. Cause that's what this is. Dude, this is, this is gold, man. I mean, I, you're speaking everything that I believe in and I'm also learning a lot. Um, <laughs> Cause I, cause I have a lot of people reach out to me at this point that want to meet and I'm really big on, like, I want to help and I will go meet anyone. I mean, I'm meeting, I say this all the time, like literally, you know, I know that probably the top five developers in Austin and then I'll go meet a, a kid in high school, but I definitely need to do something differently. And I like that approach and you know, it's easy for me to, cause I don't, my biggest thing is I don't want to push people off that really need help. Cause I was that guy and I'm still that guy in a lot of ways that wants people to, to give me their time. And I, and I don't really want to take anything from them. I just want to learn and see if I can add value and help each other out. But throwing it back at them, like if someone did that to me, which they actually have, I, I'm the guy that definitely responds in the, in the 75 days or the 90. So for me, that's a great answer because I don't have to necessarily turn them away, but I'm just trying to check if they're serious. I really like that. Yeah. It saves you time and it shows you know, their true identity to you. Is that what you do with essentially anyone that kind of reaches out cold that you aren't super interested in meeting right now because you don't know them, but you, you just want to test if they're serious. You, you, you pretty much do that all the time. If they want a job from me or if, if they want an internship, um, I will, I will do that. Um, most people I'm very, I mean, I don't think anyone's so important that you can't find 10 or 15 minutes for a phone call. So I'm very open to talking to just about anybody, but you and I both know there are periods of this business where you're just busy, right? Like you're working on a deal, you're traveling, you got a lot going on and you don't want to go dark, but like, Hey man, 60 days from now, put it on the calendar, put a tickler, call me nine times out of 10, they won't. Um, and again, it's people who are looking for a job and they want to be on the principal buy side if you can't remember to follow up with me every 30 days, you're going to suck at your job. Sure. That's gold, man. (laughs) I love it. Anything else you can think of? I mean, while we're on this kind of uh, path right now of like, just what would be valuable? Like I I love those little tips. Um, I guess things that, that are leading to your success or that, that you really focus on that you find extremely important. um, You know? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, to, to just, continue on the conversation we're having in this business like you're only as good as your network and the way to build your network is by giving and to not be ego driven to be be, but be empathy driven and to continue to say how can i help other people and what can i do can i make some introductions some referrals can i can i carve out some time to give you a bunch of free advice that's never been a bad 
time spend in my experience or opinion. All right, guys, let's talk about today's sponsor. Glenn LeBlanc and Supreme Lending have been serving the Austin market for 20 plus years. They are a local lender with in-house underwriting, so you're kept in the loop every step of the way. Whether you're doing a cash out for home repairs or a first time home buyer, Glenn makes the lending process smooth and easy to navigate. Always available and able to educate buyers along the way. Choose a local lender when buying your next home. Call 512-672-9472 anytime. And if you say you heard this ad on our podcast, Glenn will refund your appraisal if you use him. Definitely reach out to Glenn. Glenn is a personal friend of ours. The link to his website is in the description below. Now back to the episode. I was up uh, last night at like eight o'clock or nine o'clock. And that's, I literally, I mean, I probably sent about a hundred text messages to people. Hope you're doing well. Just checking in and seeing if there's anything I can do to help you. And that's like a, you know, I don't know. I don't have a set routine for that, but that is something I do constantly. And you'll, you'll get it from me too. After this podcast, <laughs> you'll, you'll hear from me a couple of weeks later. Hey, what's going on? Cause it's important. Uh, and there's always these people that, are going to kind of knock you. Like I had someone pretty successful guy here in Austin. He was like, yeah, I love Matt, but he's always asking how I can help. And I just, I hate that. And I'm like, yeah, you think you can think what you want, but for the other, you know, hundred or 200 people that, that find value in it, we go and do deals, you know, and there's always going to be that negativity, but it works. And I, that's exactly what I do. Yeah. Yep. Right on, man. Well, uh, what, what would you say about your fund uh, that makes you guys kind of unique or, or different? Um, what I'm kind of hearing is it's just simple. You know, you are who you say you are. You, you stay disciplined. You close when you say you're going to close and you play the long game. Um, and, and that alone, like, you know, sets people apart. Is, is that accurate or is there anything else there as well? Yeah, I mean, I think for us, a big differentiator is just our focus on yield. You know, not many product offerings can give you a double digit cash on cash yield right now. And we're able to achieve that. It's not a bond every quarter, every month, maybe a little bit different, but being able to provide that type of passive income is tough. So almost, I think impossible to find in multifamily and even single family these days. And uh, so we think we have a good risk adjusted return profile. And, you know, for us, we do three things. We keep it super simple, direct co-investment opportunities, double digit plus cash on cash yield tax benefits that come from direct real estate ownership. Yep. And uh, for, for your capital raises, it's kind of one of those things. It's always kind of weird to me where they like got to have your pre-existing relationship. Um, it's like, I don't, I don't know. I don't fully get it. I mean, cause it, you know, my understanding is, you know, now you and I have a pre-existing relationship, <laughs> you know, is that like how to, uh, are you taking on investors right now? Like, can, can someone reach out from this podcast and say they want to invest or, or is there guidelines that they got to have coffee with you and then yeah. invest in the next deal? Yeah. yeah, we're always open. We're always looking to make new investor relationships. I'd say the 80-20 rule is pretty, pretty accurate for us. Usually 80% of our investors are repeat legacies, 20% are new relationships per, per acquisition. And then, yeah, you need to be accredited. We only work with accredited investors and we do have a cooling off period, but the cadence of our deals and the way that our, you know, frankly, we've had a lot of inbounds recently, so it's never been an issue so far to date in terms of the cooling off period or anything. 
Inbounds, just to, just to touch on that, you're talking about from investors or actual deals? Yeah, sorry, from investors or people reaching out, hearing me on a podcast or a webinar or et cetera. Um, but yeah, always looking to meet new folks. And just Even if you just want to talk or get a referral, a lot of what I love, the reason I like working with, with individuals and families is obviously I hope the deals are great and you know people look for me to me for those, but also... I provide value beyond just the opportunity itself. So my network, introductions, referrals, maybe they want to meet another manager, maybe they want exposure to a different asset class, they need a, a reference. Um, I love helping people like that. Um, so whatever I can do, just shoot me a note. I'd love to connect. You know the game, man. You've been around and you know all the things that you're saying are pretty much what it takes. I mean, it's, it's not very uh, complicated. It's pretty simple but it just takes time and consistency. And those, I mean, I've, I've been doing it long enough that I know that what you're saying is really what it's all about. Um, yep. That's how you find success in this business. So hopefully some entrepreneurs will take some, some value from this. I mean, I, I definitely am. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool, man. So what are ways that maybe we or our listeners can add value for you or your team and um, any other things that you find important that you'd like to touch on? Yeah, just connect with me on LinkedIn. I'd love to hear your story and help. And I mean that honestly. So shoot me a note on LinkedIn, Brian Adams, Excelsior Capital, or go to the website. You can sign up for the newsletter. We do a ton of content. We have a huge uh, library of resources there. Webinars, blog pieces, white papers, videos, um, teaching people at various things. ExcelsiorGP.com. Check it out and just, you know, let's connect and see how we can help you. Let's go. And uh, how many deals, how many deals do you guys, I guess, on average do a year? What is, is it one a month or? No. No, uh, a couple, couple bigger ones, a couple a year? Yeah, I would say uh, between four to six. Four to six, what would you say? Acquisitions like a year. $50 million average or what? what is that kind of? Yeah, that's probably right. Um, 10 to 15, four, yeah. That sounds right. We've been really active so far this year. We have two, we've made two acquisitions. We're under contract on three properties. Wow. So you never know. Every year is different. So maybe this year it will be the one a month. <laughs> I don't know if we have that kind of capacity or if I have that kind of capacity. I plan on taking some time off this summer. So, <laughs> you know, we'll see what we can do, but we're finding a good opportunity. So what's your favorite uh, asset that you have? Do you have one? No, oh, can't play that game. Really? Um, yeah, just because, you know, I don't cherry pick. Um, and, I, and I participate at the same level for every acquisition. I don't want to think that I'm sandbagging people or choosing favorites. Yeah. Um, I would say that right now I'm a big fan of, of you know, the Sun Belt and the interior Midwest where we continue to find opportunities. So. Yeah. Right on, man. Well, I appreciate your time. Um, is there anything else you want to touch on or? No, thank you for having me. Yeah, what are what are ways that uh, I guess the best way is LinkedIn to people to get a hold of you? Yeah, super active on LinkedIn. Shoot me a note, connect with me, and we'll go from there. Cool, man. Well, thanks you for your time. Appreciate you coming on, and uh, excited to see you guys get some more deals done. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yep. Thanks, guys.